Amen. Thank you, Brother Downing. How are you doing this evening? Doing good? Wonderful. Let's open our Bibles up tonight to Daniel chapter number 2. <clears throat> Daniel chapter number 2. I want to encourage you while you're turning to Daniel chapter 2. Uh, if you have any time this week to head over to Sycamore Baptist Church uh, and be a part of that conference they're having over there, I would encourage you to be a part of it. I think it's always good when we can be in church and we can hear more preaching. It's good to be around those things. I'm going to go tomorrow night, uh, Uncle Joe, uh, because my preacher is going to be there tomorrow night. So I'm going to go tomorrow uh, and hear Dr. Jenkins preach. I'm excited about that. And I believe it starts at 7 o'clock, so I'd encourage you to get over there and uh, be a part of that. And also, uh, don't forget, I'm excited this Wednesday night, Brother Mark is going to preach and uh, be praying for him about that. He, I think it's, his, it's his, your birthday on Tuesday, right? So that's pretty exciting. There's nothing cooler than getting to preach for your birthday. And uh, I got to preach for my birthday last week. It was awesome. And uh, a bunch of you had texted me and said that you were praying, and we were in a teen conference last week, and man, God just did amazing things at this teen conference this past week in Maine. Uh, uh, several kids saved, uh, a bunch of kids, just God working in their heart, working in their life, uh, even working in the church. Uh, we're just excited about that, and uh, man, it's awesome. There's just nothing like serving God. So I just want to say that and throw that out there, and you go, well, man, I'm not in the ministry. We all serve God. Amen. Or we all at least should be serving the Lord. There's nothing like it, Uncle Joe. There's nothing like serving God. It's awesome. You go, is that the message tonight? No, that's not it. I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, it's pretty awesome. I wanted to give you time to find Daniel, too, because uh, uh, sometimes, you know, if you pick a bigger book of the Bible, people know right where it is. You know, Daniel's kind of right there in the middle. You can kind of find it. It's not as bad as if I said Obadiah, uh, but some of you, I said Daniel, and you were like, ah. Uh, so hopefully we're there now, and we've found it. Daniel chapter number 2, and uh, I want to begin reading in verse number 1 so that you can kind of understand this story. I'm not going to read you a text verse because we're just going to go through and look at a bunch of verses, okay? So I want to read kind of an introduction so you get what's going on here, and then I'll give you a title, although titles don't really matter uh, that much. I'm terrible at coming up with titles for sermons. Uh, if you just preach the Bible, Drake, uh, it'll, it'll preach itself. You don't have to have an incredible title. I'm usually pretty bad with them, but I will attempt to give you a title, uh, uh, and then we'll pray and get right into the message tonight, okay? Daniel chapter number 2, verse number 1. The Bible says this, And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, wherewith his spirit was troubled, and his sleep brake from him. So Nebuchadnezzar is starting to have dreams now, and he can't sleep at night. Amen? Verse 2, Then the king commanded to call the magicians, and the astrologers, and the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans, for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. It says, And the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Have you ever had a dream? And, 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 and I'll be honest with you, listen, uh, God speaks to us through the word, and the word is finished and perfect. So I, I'm real weary when, like, some preacher on TV is like, oh, God gave me a special dream. You might have had Mexican food last night and had some sort of dream, but it wasn't from God, okay? Uh, God wasn't giving you a special revelation. Uh, but have you ever had a dream, and you woke up the next morning, and you were kind of thinking about it and going, man, what was that about? Like, you know, how did I get there? And, you know, where were my socks? I don't understand. Uh, 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 you have a dream like that. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, but his dream was from God. 
And it says this, it says in verse 4, it says uh, in verse 3, he asked these Chaldeans and these sorcerers, he goes, guys, I've had a dream and I need to know what it means. And in verse 4, we pick up and it says, then spake the Chaldeans to the king uh, in Syriac. They said, oh, king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream and we will show the interpretation. Now, verse 5 is the kicker. There's a lot of funny stuff in the Bible. When I read the Bible, Brother Becker, there's a lot of times when I'm like, what? Uh, uh, this is one of those times. I like verse 5. It cracks me up. It says, then the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, uh, the thing is gone from me. So that he goes, I had a dream. And they go, well, tell us the dream. We'll tell you what it means. And he goes, I actually don't even remember what the dream was. You ever had a dream like that? We're like, you woke up and you remembered some stuff, but then like an hour later, you're like, wait a minute, I didn't know I had a dream last night, but I don't know what it was. He goes, ah, uh, the thing is gone from me. Look at verse 5. If ye will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, ye shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made a dunghill. Like, I don't know if you're having a bad week, <laughs> but I promise you, these dudes are having like the worst day ever. So I had this dream and uh, I want to know what it is. Okay, well, tell us what... Uh, I actually don't remember the dream. So here's the thing. You tell me what I dreamed, and then you tell me what that means, or I'm going to cut you into pieces and turn your house into a dunghill. So it's, can we just establish, these guys, and they're all false prophets, so don't feel that bad for them, but these guys are having a bad day. Okay? Have you, ever, have you ever had somebody ask you for something, and it's like just way above your pay grade, it's way out of your league? That's this right here. I had a dream, Brother Leonard, uh, but I don't remember at all what it was. So I want you to tell me what it was and then tell me what that means. Or, you know, I'm just going to get the sword out. We're going to hack everybody up. Uh, so that's where these guys are. Verse number six. But if you will show the dream and the interpretation thereof, you shall receive of me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. And they answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show the interpretation of it. They go, they go king, you've got to tell us. We can interpret it if you just tell us what it was. Verse 8, the king answered and said, I know of certainty that ye would gain the time. You mom and dads ever had a kid and you asked them, hey, didn't I, didn't I tell you this? And they go, um, the, 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 and you know, they're trying, you know they're just spinning their wheels trying to buy time? That's what these guys are doing. Nebuchadnezzar goes, I know of a certainty that you're trying to buy time right now. Right? Because ye see the thing is gone from me. Verse 9, but if ye will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you. For ye have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me till the time be changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that ye can show me the interpretation thereof. Verse 10 is kind of clutch. We're going to start at verse 10. I'll fill you in, then we're going to pray, but we're going to end at another verse that really kind of uh, gives a night and day contrast here. Verse 10, the Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore there is, he says, Therefore uh, uh, there is no king, lord, nor ruler that asks such things at any magician or astrologer or Chaldeans. They said, it is a rare thing that the king requireth, and there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. So every once in a while, false prophets and people that don't know God, even though they're totally ignorant and they know nothing of the Lord, every once in a while they will say some, they'll drop some knowledge in something that's true. And these false prophets here, they tell the king, they said, king, there is not a man upon the earth 
that can do what you've asked us to do. And he goes, no one has ever asked for a request like this because there is no one that could do this. They go, except for the gods, and they go, and the gods aren't with us. You know, they say gods, and you notice it's little g gods, right? So they're not talking about Jehovah. They're just saying, hey, listen, the only people that can answer this, man, and I don't even know if they're talking about their false gods. I'm sure they are. But understand, they're basically saying this. They go, listen, the thing that you've asked of us, no human being can possibly do. This is impossible. The only people that could do this would be the gods or some sort of supernatural being. And I'm telling you, king, that's not us, and they don't dwell with us, and I don't know them. There's nothing that we can do about this. And so what happens? Uh, the king ends up telling them, okay, well, you know what? Round up all the sorcerers, round up all the wise men. We're just going to kill them all because they're all useless. Right? Do you ever make like a rash decision? Right? Now listen, now listen, I know we're, we're laughing, and, I, and I'll say stuff that you can laugh at, but don't miss the bigger points here. Do you, even though Nebuchadnezzar is lost, and even though a lot of these, the, the, these wise men are false prophets and astrologers, uh, they still have some sort of wisdom. And certainly for a lost king, it might be helpful to keep them around. I mean, he just gets fired up and he goes, you know what? Just kill them all. Just, just kill them all. Wipe them out. Uh, we're going to clean house. I don't want any wise men. Now, that sounds good. Like, if you're saying, look, we don't need any false teachers, I'm with you, man. I wish there was no false prophets. I wish there was no false teachers. Because I'll be honest with you, a lot of times I go to churches and I talk to people and I'll preach. And after I preach, somebody comes up to me and they'll start telling me about somebody they heard on TV that said this. And, and there's a lot of false teaching in the world. There's a lot of false preaching in the world. And I wish it wasn't there. But what happens here, we're in the book of Daniel, is that Nebuchadnezzar decides to kill everybody who's a wise man. And just because he is considered to be one of these wise men, suddenly Daniel gets thrown into a situation that, man, I don't think he was expecting. Suddenly Daniel, just by association, or Daniel, just by who he is, gets thrown into this situation uh, that he was not looking for, he was not planning to experience. I don't think he woke up thinking, hey, today's going to be the day uh, that the king's going to kill me because of these guys over here. Uh, Daniel is now in a situation that's a whole lot bigger than he is. And I want to say this to you, even though they're false prophets, these wise men were true in one area. The thing that the king was looking for was completely completely impossible. There's no man on earth, Drake, that could do what Nebuchadnezzar needed done. And now because of that situation, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you're going to see them here in a second. Uh, Daniel and the three Hebrew children, they are now, Uncle Joe, caught in a situation where now their head is on the chopping block. I want to preach a message to you tonight simply entitled this. This is my cool, Drake, this is my cool alliteration, dude. Watch this. Three supplications to make in the storm. And you go, what do you mean, Brother Ian? I could word it to you like this. Three things to seek in the storm. Or I could just put it in layman's terms and say, I want to show you three things you should pray for when you're going through a hard time. But whether you like the big fancy name or just the layman's terms, all of us go through hard times, right? Now listen, let me say this, and I don't want to frame it. I'm not one of these preachers that gets up and goes, man, God told me. I don't do that kind of, 
I want to let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart because I don't know where any of us are at in this room tonight. But I want to say this. I think somebody here tonight is probably going through a storm. Because I was going to preach something else. And actually three people just raised their hand when I did that. So I was going to preach something else tonight. Uh, and all afternoon the Lord just kept kind of laying this idea on my heart. So this is something that God's speaking to me about. I've never preached this before. This is something that God has put on my heart. But God isn't working in my life. Because if I could be honest with you, I am kind of going through a storm. And it's like a perpetual storm. It's called deputation. And all missionaries go through it. Uh, but it's like this giant storm, Uncle Joe, that feels like it's never going to end. And it just keeps raging. And that's where I'm at. So tonight I want to be sensitive to the fact that, like me, there might be somebody else in this room. You are going through a storm. You go, Brother Ian, that's not me. I'm not going through a struggle. I'm not really going through a trial right now. That's fine. But understand, if you're saved... Part of the Christian life is having faith in trials. And part of the Christian life is being refined in the storm. So if you're not going through it at all tonight, could you, number one, be sensitive to the fact that there are several people in here that are? And then number two, maybe you just write these three things down, tuck them away, and maybe ten years from now, if you are going through something, it'll fall out of your Bible and it'll just help you right then. I have no clue. But I would encourage you, if you write things down, I just want to make three prayers that we should pray when we're going through a storm. Daniel's going through a storm. Really, Daniel is facing a death sentence. I'm not talking about a little rainstorm here. I'm talking about a Eurachlodon, a superstorm that is going to absolutely shipwreck you and leave you stranded. That's what I'm talking about, a superstorm in your life, three prayers to pray. Let's go ahead and pray. Drake, would you pray for me tonight? And then we'll go ahead and get right in the message. Just stand up and lift up your voice. Amen. <laughs> so look at verse number 13. It says, And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. So they go to look for Daniel, they go to look for the other Hebrews to kill them. And in verse number 14 it says, Then Daniel answered with what? Do you see it? Counsel and wisdom. These aren't one of the things to pray for, but can I say this to you? You can see really in this whole illustration, this story, you can see how lost people act and how saved people act. Now, I'm a saved person, and there's times when the bottom falls out in my life, and I tend to act like Nebuchadnezzar, very rash. And it's not the message, it's not even a point, but we ought to be careful when, when, when our world goes into a tailspin, if you will. I want to be careful to keep a cool head and act with wisdom and counsel and knowledge. Right? Like, we all know what the Bible says, but sometimes when things fall apart, all of a sudden we go, well, but, 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 no, but nothing. What does the Bible say? It says that Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom uh, to Arach, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, uh, the king's captain, why is the decree so hasty from the king? It says, and the captain made the thing known to Daniel, verse 16, then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. 
Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. And so those are the Jewish names for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In the next chapter, you're going to see them show up in the furnace, okay? So you know these three. Uh, maybe you just aren't familiar with them by that name. Uh, but here's what happens. Daniel finds out they're going to kill him, and they want to kill all of his buddies. And he goes, hold on a minute. Why is the king acting so crazy? And he says, listen... Maybe if I could talk to the king, there's something that I could do. And in a second here, we're going to show you, Daniel knows there's nothing that he can do. But he goes, hold on a minute, let me just talk to the king. That takes a step of faith. I just want to say that, and you'll see it in a second. Daniel goes, listen, let me talk to the king. And they go, okay. So before he goes in to talk to the king, he goes and he finds Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And look at verse number 18. It says this. He goes, why did he go find them? Here's what you see. Number one, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret. That Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. You go, Brother Ian, I am going through a storm. Here's how I found this text, to be honest with you. Uh, I have it dated right here in my Bible, uh, December 19th, 2016. So this is this past December, a few days before Christmas. So think about what you were doing a few days before Christmas. Uh, in December, on December 19th, in fact, uh, I had just finished being out in Boston, and I was all fired up, man, worried about like $2,000 a month support. And uh, uh, my, my certain people have told me, they go, man, if you raise that in like 12 months, that's pretty good. And I've heard that. And I've, heard, I've talked to other missionaries. They said, man, that's like a good amount to raise. That's a really good rate that you're at right now. You raise $2,000 a month support in like 12 months. And I was pretty excited about that. Uh, and so here's what I did. In December, I think it was like on the 11th or 12th. You could probably go back to my Facebook and find it. Uh, I just drove into Quincy at like 3 o'clock in the morning, Uncle Joe, or like 1 o'clock. I don't know what time it was. But I literally just drove into Quincy. That's my city. That's where I'm going to plant a church. That's my city. And so I drove there, and uh, I looked at, like, the best place. I go, this is a place that I think God would want us to meet. I found a good location. They had a four-lease sign out front. And, man, I just started praying that God would just give me that building. I said, God, I, I just need you to give it to me. And uh, what I decided to do was, I'm like, well, I'm going to call the owner of this building and just let him know, like, hey, listen, I'm a preacher, and I think God wants to use this place uh, to have a church. Are you willing to work with me? And, and so usually when preachers tell you these illustrations, like the next thing I'm going to say is like, and then God showed up and he gave me the building for free, right? Uh, but that's not how it happened. I called and the lady goes, oh, okay. Like I told her, I'm like, I think God wants to use this building for a church, right? Mark, you've probably heard of like illustrations in College Chapel where guys have done that and like God, like, so I kind of talked like that, Uncle Joe. I was like, you know what, man, I'm a preacher and I think God wants this building to be a church. And she goes, well, that's fine. She goes, but Gold's Gym wants it to be a gym, and they offered me $7,500 a month. She goes, what are you offering? And I'm like, oh. And I go, well, how much are you looking for? And she's like, oh, I told them no. She goes, I told them I want eight grand a month. So she just thought I asked me. She goes, do you have that or not? And I'm like, well, I don't. I go, I have like $2,000 a month. And the lady pretty much laughed at me immediately on the phone. You go, did you get in there? No. No, I didn't get in there. Uh, uh, and so uh, uh, I wish I could give you some great story right now, but that's just not where I'm at. And so I drove back to Michigan, and I'll be honest with you, I was kind of discouraged. 
right? Like it's Christmas time. At Christmas time, you guys put up a tree in your living room and your family and your home and you go to be with family and this and that. I got two little kids. And when it's Christmas time and you live in the back of your vehicle, dude, it's just kind of hard sometimes. I'm just being honest with you. It gets a little depressing from a dad's point of view because, man, I want my kids to like have that Christmas time experience and I want a home of my own to have my own Christmas in. You know what I'm talking about? Can anybody understand that? Even if that's not you, could you understand what that's like to have it be Christmas time and be like totally depressed? Uh, and so it was December 19th, and I'm up in northern Michigan, and uh, I kind of realized, Mark, that uh, if I'm going to have a church here, it's going to take me like several more years of deputation to raise that kind of support. Now, Brother Becker, I'm still praying that God just gives me a building. And as a matter of fact, there's only a couple guys that have even gone in the last 40 years to Boston, and all of them except one, God just gave them a building. Because the cost of living is literally so high that it's easier for God to step in and give a building than it is to raise money to go there. So that's, that's the world, that's my world right now. And I come back home, and it's December 19th, and I'm telling this story to a lady that I, uh, we're good friends with up in northern Michigan at our home church. And she just flat out asked me, she's like, what are you going to do? And I'll be honest with you, I don't really know what, I don't, and I still don't, you know, sometimes. But I remember feeling like, I go, you know, that's a good question. I don't really know what I'm going to do. And my kids went to bed, and my wife went to bed, slash, go look on Facebook, slash, play video games on your phone. Right? You know what that is, right? I'm going to bed. And like four hours later, you're like, okay, so, right? So my kids go to bed, and my wife goes to bed, and the family that we're with goes to bed. Have you ever just put a smile on your face because you knew, like, that's what your family needs right now? Have you ever been in, like, a mess, Brother Becker? And you just smiled because you know that your wife and kids need to see you smile, right? So I put my kids to bed, and I put my wife to bed. But then I just went back out in the living room and, like, just turned a light on. And I just fell on my face before God. And I said, God, I don't know what I'm supposed to do right now. And I recommend reading your Bible on a calendar, but that night I literally took my Bible and just cracked it open, and it cracked open right here to Daniel chapter 2, and I read about this crazy request that Nebuchadnezzar had, and I wrote this down. I said, just talking tonight about property values in Boston and how it's going to be impossible, and I dated it next to this verse. Have you ever been in a situation that felt impossible? Right? And like, we're men, and we don't cry, right? Even though Jesus wept, and he's the manliest man that ever lived. I'll, I go to bat, I could literally go off for 45 minutes right now on that point. But man... Have you ever been in a situation where you smiled in front of everyone else, but when the kids went to bed, 
maybe you and your spouse or you alone literally just went up before God and said, God, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. This is impossible. This storm that I am in, this situation that I am in is bigger than me. And it's not just a little bit bigger than I am. It's something that no man can do. God, it's crazy. It's out of control. I feel like everything is falling apart. And Lord, I told my wife and kids it's going to be okay. If I could, I'm a missionary, right? But you dads know the same thing. You moms know the same thing, right? Uh, your kids go, what are we going to do about this? And you go, oh, God's going to take care of that. And you put that on the line, right? Like, God, Brother Becker, God's going to take care of that. And your kids and your wife go, okay. Right? Your kids go, okay, Dad. And your wife's like, okay, honey, I'm trusting you. But then they go to bed, and you literally can't sleep because you're going, God, I need you to, I need you to show up. Like, I have this impossible thing, and I don't know what to do with it. And no man on earth can do what I need you to do right now, God. You go, what do we do? Can I just show you what Daniel did? Number one, he went to his friends. They prayed. Could I say this? You go, what three things could I pray when I don't know what to do? Number one, Lord, would you show us what is our responsibility and what is your responsibility? You go, what do you mean by that? Daniel, they go to him and they, it says this, they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men. They went to God, Brother Mark, and they, they literally just go to him and pray. Listen, right off the bat, have you ever heard somebody say this? Like, the, like, like, like everything falls apart, and you do everything that you can, and then they go, well, I guess all that we can do now is just pray. Right? Like praying was like the last thing that we could do. It was just like this last resort thing. It's like an afterthought. Well, I did everything that I can do. So I guess the only thing that's left to do now is just pray and just, you know, kind of throw a Hail Mary up there. I mean, I literally did everything that I can. And obviously, I, I think that I'm more powerful than God because I was immediately resorted to my own strength right off the bat. But now that I've done that, Uncle Joe, all I can really do now is just kind of throw up a bomb in the end zone and just hope the Lord shows up, right? I guess that's all we can do is pray, right? You know what I'm talking about? about like it's always this afterthought right yeah you're right that's crazy to think that when Jesus died that the veil in the holy of holies literally the thing that separates God from man when Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross the veil was rent from the top all the way down like God ripped that thing in half and God said guess what man now that my son's died you can come into this holy place and to think that brother Leonard I can go in anytime because I'm saved and God lives in my heart and I am clean and righteous in his eyes to think that at any given time I could just walk into the holy place. Like I can go into the holiest of holies right now. Drake just did it a second ago when he prayed for the service. And to think that I could go do that and now my world is falling apart. And just as an afterthought, well, I guess I'll go into the holy place too, right? The first thing they did was they prayed and asked God, God, we need your help. And listen to me, when you are in a storm, you need to make sure that you are praying. And I feel like that goes without saying, but can I be honest with you? If you're being real with me like I'm going to be real with you, that's not always the first thing we do, is it? The veil's rent. If there is anything I'm going to do today, I am going to get into the holy place. 
Daniel understood the power of prayer. And they pray and they ask God, they go, God, we need your help concerning this. Because they knew there was nothing they can do. Let me say this to you. In a storm or in a trial, you need to understand what is your responsibility and what is God's. Because there's some stuff we can do. Now listen, God does everything. You understand that, right? It's only by his grace that we do what we can. But there's some stuff that I can do, and there's some stuff that only he can do. You go, give me an illustration, Brother Ian. There was a time when Lazarus was dead, and he went to the tomb with, with Mary and Martha, right? And he goes, hey, get this stone out of the way. Do you think that the king of kings couldn't literally snap his finger and get that stone out of the way? Don't you think, I mean, do you really think Jesus needed Mary and Martha to help him roll the stone away? But he goes, hey, get this stone out of the way. And then remember what Martha, Martha goes, Lord, he stinks. I wonder how many times in our lives we are going through a storm and Jesus is ready to do the impossible, but we let the stone or we let the stink stop us. Think about that. Well, Lord, I would, but I mean, right? Don't let the stink stop you. In that situation, Jesus goes, hey, I need you to remove the stone because when you move the stone, I'm going to do the impossible. When you do what you can do, I'm going to step in and do what only I can do. Because that's who Jesus is. He's the game changer. I mean, he is the one who does the impossible. That's who he is. He's a boss. That's just who he is. Everything he does is like a hundred. Everything he does, I mean, he's on another level. There's nobody up here like Jesus is. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, man, he's doing miracles. He's changing lives. But Daniel and his friends knew, man, we need God to show up. And we need to do something. And they didn't just sit back and go, well, we need God. Man, they got on their knees before the Lord and said, Lord, we desperately need your help in a storm in my life and I don't know what your storm is and I don't know what your situations are and I'm not going to be that preacher that tells you that I am going to say this if you are going through a storm you need to figure out Lord what is my responsibility in this and what is yours and don't let me get the two confused because sometimes a storm comes and we're just sitting there paddling and we're fighting against the wind right and we're rowing like crazy, and we're just not getting anywhere. I don't want to waste my time and effort doing the things that only God can do. But I don't want to sit here and ask God to do a miracle in my life and neglect to do what I have to do. You, How does that translate to me? I don't know. I'm praying that right now the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. I don't know how that translates to you. For me, it's this, Uncle Joe. I really want to get off deputation, and I can pray all day that God raises my support. But if I don't get on that phone tomorrow and beat the streets and set up appointments, it's not going to happen. So that's how it translates in my life. Lord, I need you to pay my rent. Okay, go find a job. I say that with like a big smile on my face because I know what it's like to struggle. And if that's you, I know what it's like, man, to be there. And I'm not being unsensitive. I'm just saying, man. When the storm comes, Brother Mark, I want to know, God, what's my responsibility and what's yours? Number two, check this out. Verse number 19. <clears throat> then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. So they prayed and God immediately goes, oh, well, here's what it is. 
Gee, Daniel, I'm, I'm glad that you asked. Let me answer this for you immediately, right? <laughs> it wasn't just a Hail Mary, was it? It was exactly what they needed. Verse 19, then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in the night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And we're going to read it here in a second. Daniel just starts to worship God. I don't know what you're going through, and there's probably not a whole lot right now while we're at church that you can do to fix that. Right? Like, we'll use the illustration. Uh, if you need to pay your rent by next month, sitting here in church for the next, you know, 20 minutes, you probably can't do a whole lot about that right now. So I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you can do about it right now, but I know this. No matter where you're at, if you are going through a storm, you can find time tonight before we leave to worship God. Amen? And here's what Daniel did. Uh, it says this, Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in the night vision, and then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. Nobody says amen. Like I just said, that's a pretty cool statement, right? Ready? Like we say amen in church, and maybe you don't. You go, Brother Ian, I don't say amen. That's fine. But if you are ever going to say amen in church when anybody says anything, if somebody says, blessed be the name of the God of heaven, right, forever and ever, that would be a good time to chime in with your once a year. Oh, amen, Brother Ian, that is good. I do actually like that, and I feel like it's okay, right? Daniel gets up and says, hey, man, bless the Lord. Bless the God of heaven, man. He heard my cry. Man, he gave me what I needed. Needed, you go, Brother Ian, what do I do in a storm? Number one, pray and ask God to show you what is your responsibility and what is his, right? But number two, pray that God turns your storm into a sanctuary. God, turn my storm into a place where I can worship you. God, I'm spinning out of control, and I don't know what to do. And I told my wife and kids everything's going to be okay. But, Lord, in my heart, I'm terrified, and I don't know what to do, God. And I need you to show up. And there's nothing that I can do right now. But, God, I'm going to tell you something. Whether you leave me to die, and he won't, by the way. But, Lord, whether you leave me out here to die or you show up, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the next chapter, hey, listen, whether he does or he doesn't, I'm I'm going to worship God. Uh, Lord, whether you show through up, whether you show up or whether you don't, God, I am going to worship you in this storm. Lord, while my boat is spinning out of control, God, I'm going to take this opportunity to turn this storm into a sanctuary, to turn this storm into a place of worship. Look what he says. Verse 20, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons. Man, it's getting warm today, isn't it? Isn't it nice? The grass is kind of turning green. We can go to church without a jacket on. Do you think that happens on its own? That's God. You think that we're just spinning on some ball through the universe by random chance? God's holding everything in his hand. Everything in his time. Everything, he upholds it all says this, and he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and he setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. Man, you, you go, Brother Ian, I'm just not that smart. Man, you know you can ask God for wisdom, right? I'm with you, man. I'm dumb too. I'm in the same boat, okay? But I pray James 1, 5 every single day. Right? He that lacketh wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth liberally to all men and abradeth not, and it shall be given unto him. I go, Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, help me to raise my family in church. Help me to know what to do, God. I need wisdom. God gives wisdom. He gives knowledge. Look at verse 22. He revealeth the deep 
and secret things. Man, I'll tell you what, there's some stuff that we just don't know, Brother Downing. And there's some stuff in a storm when your boat is spinning out of control and you're fighting against the wind. There's some stuff that you just don't know. There's some stuff that you don't understand. But God knows it. Doesn't, isn't that a comfort? You understand, there's nothing that my God doesn't know. There's nothing that just occurs to God. There's never a moment where he goes, oh, I just never even thought about that. Never happened. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's always been in control. He knew exactly who you would be when he literally put all of your parts. The Bible says that he put you together in the womb. And he knew what you would look like and where you would live and who your parents would be. And you sit there and go, man, I feel like God doesn't even see me in all this storm. God saw you before you were even born. God has always known where you would live and what you would do and where you would go to church and where you would work and what you would go through and the suffering that you would go through. And God knew about your ups and your downs and your mountaintops and your valleys. God has always known about those things. And the things that you thought were secret and the things that you thought that you would never figure out, God has always known since the beginning of time. He has always been God. There has never been a God before him. There will never be a God after him. He is God alone. He is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Man, he is the king of knowledge. He's the, he's the giver of every perfect and good gift. He's the father of light. He's the way. He's the truth. And he's the life. And man, I'll tell you what, he is amazing. He is wonderful. And he knows exactly what you're going through. Look at what verse 22 says. I like, look at the middle of verse 22. It says this, he knoweth what is in the darkness. You go, I'm in a storm, Brother Ian. My life is falling apart, and I'm scared. I don't know what's out there. Have you ever been in a room at night? Have you ever been in a place that you're not familiar with, and you woke up in the middle of the night? What are you talking about? I'm on deputation. That's like every day of my life. I literally wake up in a different hotel room or church member's house like every day of my life. My kids sometimes, my kids wake up in the middle of the night, to get a drink of water, to go to the restroom, whatever. And uh, Lydia is super brave, of course, so I would never say that she's not. But sometimes she wakes up, and sometimes she gets really scared. And I'll wake up because Lydia is just crying. I mean, my mom knows this morning. I don't know if you guys heard, but this morning, Lydia, Declan, Declan went up to use the restroom, and he got terrified, Brother Leonard. He literally went upstairs to the restroom, and he got in the kitchen, Brother Mark, and all of a sudden he must have got turned around because he's in, just in a different place, man. And it's dark. And he just, it was like 3 in the morning, all of a sudden I hear my kids screaming like on another level of the house, and I'm like, right? Like, what is going on, dude? And I'm like, like why aren't you in your bed? Like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? It's like 3 in the morning, man. And, uh, but he got scared. And I go up there, and, and, and he's just sitting there in the dark, and he's crying his eyes out because he doesn't know what to do, and he's scared, and he doesn't know what's out there. And we tell our kids there's no such thing as monsters. That stuff isn't real. Like, I don't tell my kid anything is real that isn't. Like, I'm just always true on every level with them. Uh, and I told him, I go, there's no such thing as monsters. But let's be honest, they're little kids. They don't understand that. Get that look off your face. Some of you guys are afraid of the dark, Right? <laughs> All the moms, when I said that, every mom in the room, even like Miss Messer, she's not a mom, but she's sitting there like, oh, 
every lady in the room is like sympathizing, and some of the guys are, like, like Brother Becker is, and Brother Lamb, like you're sympathizing with what I'm saying, but some of you guys are like, give me this stinky eye, like I'm never afraid of the dark. I bet you, you are the biggest scaredy cat in the room right now. <laughs> me just talking about the dark is terrifying you. Uh, 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 uh. Listen, my four-year-old son is sitting there, and man, he's crying because he does not know what's out there. Let me make an application to my life and to yours. I get scared because in my life, I don't know what's out there. Amen. And I'm in a storm, and my boat is spinning out of control, and there's nothing I can seem to do to right the ship, and it's dark. And I don't know what's out there, and I'm scared. Can I be real with you? Anybody else ever feel that way? Yeah. Raise your hand if you ever felt that way. Okay, now look around. Everybody feels that way, right? Raise your hand if you ever felt that way. Look around. We all feel that way, right? Some of us might feel that way right now. I'm in a storm, everything's spinning, and it's dark, and I don't know what to do. You know that God's your father, right? You know that, right? Right? And if you and I, Brother Becker, know how to give good gifts unto our children, how much more is our father in heaven, right? That's what, the, isn't that, that's what the Bible says, right? That's not what I'm saying. That's what the scriptures, that's what God in his revelation to man told us about himself. He goes, you think you're a good dad. Let me tell you what I do when my kids are in the dark and they start crying out to me. Buddy, I show up because I know what's in the dark. Oh, man, man. Look at verse number 22, man. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness. Man, when it's 3 o'clock in the morning and I cry out to God, it's the same way when it's 3 o'clock in the morning and I wake up and hear my son crying out. Man, I came upstairs in a rage. Like if there was any monster in that kitchen, I was going to rip its arms off and beat it to death, buddy. Like there was no way anybody's going to get to my son because my son called out to me and man, I answered him. And my Bible says, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. You know why? Because he knows what's in the darkness. He knows what's out there. And you and I are scared we don't know what's in the storm, but he knows what's in the storm. You think you're a good dad. You see what God does when it's 3 in the morning. You call out to him. God, I don't know what's ahead. He goes, I do, buddy, and I got it. Right, Donald? You mean, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. Don't worry about it, son. I got it. I know exactly what's up. I know what's in the darkness. Look at this. And the light dwelleth with him. Daniel says in verse 23, I thank thee and praise thee, O God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might, and has made known unto me now what we desired of thee, for thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. You go, Brother Ian, I'm going through a storm. I don't know what to do. Can I tell you three things to pray for? Number one, God, show me what is my responsibility and what's yours. Number two, Lord, in this storm... Let me worship you. If, you write, if you're going to write it down, write it down like this. Turn my storm into a sanctuary. This is the sanctuary, right? This is a room that is set aside for us to worship God. Lord, turn this storm. Lord, turn this trial. Lord, turn this uncertainty. Lord, turn this situation into a sanctuary. God, take my storm and let me just worship you. And that's what Daniel did. <clears throat> Last but not least, look at verse number 24. 
Therefore Daniel went unto uh, Arioch. Man, these, you ever read names in the Bible? And you're like, dude, how do I say this? It's even worse when you're preaching. Like, I have to say that name, Brother Leonard. If you got to it, you can go, oh. Right, but I'm reading it out loud. I have to say that guy. I think I've said his name like seven different ways uh, since I started preaching this message. Uh, verse number 24, then Daniel went unto uh, Arach, uh, whom the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said uh, thus unto him, destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show unto the king the interpretation. Uh, then Arach brought into Daniel before the king in haste and said thus unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. Verse 26, the king answered and said unto Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? Now remember what we already said, right? We're almost done, but don't lose me right now. Remember what we said before, right? Over here in verse number 5, the Chaldeans said, uh, the thing is gone for He goes, hey, the thing is gone for me. Uh, in verse number 10, the Chaldeans said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king this matter, right? And over here in verse number 26, Nebuchadnezzar says, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen, the interpretation thereof? Verse 27, check this out. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto you or show unto the king. But look at verse 28. This is it right here. Ready? Here's the kicker. But there is a God in heaven. Baller. Like, do you ever have moments in the Bible where you're like, dude, this is amazing, right? I like this part right here. This is one of those parts for me. Hey, listen, Daniel goes, the king goes, Daniel, are you able to tell me what this dream is? And he goes, hey, listen, king, I can't tell you. And I can't tell you, and none of these guys can tell you either. But let me tell you something. I know somebody who can. There is a God in heaven. And look what he says. He says, but there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, what shall be in the latter days. Amen. And I'm not going to get into an eschatology lesson with you, but the dream that he has here is about the end times. It's literally about years and generations. I mean, thousands of years are going to be covered by this dream. So I want you to wrap your mind around this for a second. The dream that Nebuchadnezzar had isn't just about him, but it's literally about the end of time all of time that is left until Jesus Christ comes back. So understand this. Nebuchadnezzar, a lost man, has a dream about like literally end time Bible prophecy. And Daniel goes, you know what? I don't really know what it's about and I can't tell you, but I know someone who can. He is God and he knows everything, Nebuchadnezzar, that's going to happen from right now all the way till the end of time, all the way until the latter days. He literally tells him, he goes, listen, king, I don't know, and I know that these fake guys over here, I know that they don't know, but I know someone who does. Amen? Like Miss Cleo, nobody's calling Miss Cleo right now, right? Nobody's calling, like you old people remember that, right? You know who Miss Cleo is, right? The false prophet, the, uh, the psychic hotline, Right? You laugh, but that's what King Nebuchadnezzar had. He had a bunch of astrologers, right? And people today, I want to say this to you, let me make an application. They're still looking for answers in all these fake places. 
you go to Meijer and check out your food, and there's going to be a little horoscope book in that aisle. I like the meme that's on Facebook, and I, I might have just said two words that you don't even understand, but I like the meme that's on Facebook, and it says this, here's your horoscope for this week, and it's like March, uh, the sun and the moon has no you know, influence whatsoever on your life. April, the sun and the moon have no influence whatsoever on your life. I love, I love that. I crack up every time I see it, and it's basically saying this, listen, uh, 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 astrology, uh, astronomers rather, or astrology rather, uh, uh, it's empty, it's fake, uh, there's no truth to it, uh, but people are looking for answers, and Nebuchadnezzar is looking for answers. And Daniel, even though it's an impossible task, and he knows that he can't do it, he knows someone who can do it. And I want to say this to you, it's just a side note here, uh, but I want to say to you, in a few weeks, we're going to have Easter Sunday, and I want to tell you, Jackson, Michigan is filled with people who are looking for answers. And we laugh about people reading their horoscope and doing this and that. But there are legitimate people that do not have hope in Jesus Christ. And they don't know about God. And they're looking for hope. And they're looking for answers. Amen. And we have the hope. And we have the answers. Amen. And like Pastor Donald preached this morning, man, each one needs to reach one. If I heard that message, and two weeks from now Easter happened, and I didn't invite anyone to church... I would just shut my head in the car door on Easter morning until I passed out. I mean, I would just literally, I would just, I don't know what I would do if I heard that message and I let two weeks go by and didn't invite anybody to church or tell anybody about Jesus. I just want to throw that out there. You're really, Ian, you're crazy. I don't know why you'd shut your head in the car door. I don't know either. Uh, I, I, but, but I'm just saying to you, uh, listen to me. We got to tell people about the Lord. Because just like Nebuchadnezzar, man, there are people in Jackson who are looking for answers. And they have questions that they don't know how to figure out. And they have problems that they don't know how to solve. Just like you. They go through storms just like we do. But we know God, and that's the difference. They have no clue what to do. What do you tell somebody that just lost a child when you don't even know if that child was saved? What do you tell somebody that lost a spouse when they, they don't even have any hope of the gospel? What do you tell somebody? How much worse is it if it's your neighbor and you go, oh yeah, actually I had the answer for that for the last five years. I just couldn't make it across the driveway here to ask you or to, to invite you to church. What do you do, man? You know, Brother Ian, you said there was three points. There is. Here's the third one. I'm done. Number one, Lord, show me in this storm what is my responsibility and what's yours. Number two, Lord, turn this storm into a sanctuary. Number three, Lord, let me see you in this storm. A lot of times I go through heartache in my life and I get so wrapped up trying to fix everything, and I get so stressed out by everything falling apart that I don't actually take the time to see what God is doing in the storm. And I know that's not what you want to hear, but the storm is what reveals God in your life. The storm is necessary. Here, I'll give you an illustration. It will be done. You remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? Wasn't that amazing? Look up here, look up here. 
I don't want to put you to sleep. Remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? That was amazing, right? And so Uncle Joe, a little boy, has got some bread and fish. And Jesus goes, man, we need to feed these people. And the, and the disciples are like, man, I don't know what you're talking about. We don't even have enough food. We couldn't even feed half these people, man. And Jesus goes, okay, well. And he asked him. He already knew what he was going to do. But he asked him, he goes, what do you guys think we should do? And they go, we don't even have enough money. They go, but there's a lad here. There's this little boy here. I mean, he's got some bread and fish, but I don't know what that's going to do. And Jesus goes, okay, cool. Sit down and watch this. Right? Like, just like Jesus did earlier, we were just talking about how amazing he is when he raises Lazarus from the dead. That's like all he does. Everything he touches just turns to gold, right? He goes, hey, guys, tell everybody to sit down and watch this. And he just sits there, man, and just starts feeding like 5,000 people. And that was just like, man, there was women and children there too. So he literally does this miracle, right? Do you remember what the next thing that happens is on the timeline? Anybody? Right? He tells him, he goes, okay, guys, now get in this boat, and I want you to go over Galilee. Like, they just saw, and I don't knock the apostles, because they've done way more incredible stuff than I'll ever do. I'm not that guy that, like, knocks Peter. I don't knock anybody in the Bible. You got to take heed to yourself, man. Okay? Uh, so I don't do that. Uh, but these guys just saw Jesus do a miracle, right? And they're like, oh, okay, cool. Well, that was neat. And he goes, all right, guys, get in this boat. And they get in the boat. And remember what happens? The storm comes, man. And they all think they're going to die. And then here comes Jesus. And he literally calms the storm. And the disciples look at him and they go, man, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? And as soon as they landed that boat, Peter gets out and goes, you're the son of God. I'm not being presumptuous because I would have probably done the same exact thing. But I would have thought that that's the Messiah when he took a loaf of bread and a fish and fed 5,000 people, right? <clears throat> oh, are we okay? And you're sitting there going, I think the same thing, Brother Ian. But the truth is, in times of affluence... We don't always see God for who he is like we do in times of affliction. In the storm, they got out and said, you are the son of God. Maybe you're fine. I'm kind of going through a storm. And in this storm, I want to make sure I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to do. And I want to trust God to do what he's supposed to do. In this storm, I also want to make sure that I'm worshiping God. I want to make sure that I'm taking time. Lord, I don't know what you're going to do, and I don't know if you're going to fix this problem or not. I know you're going to fix it, Lord, because all things work together for good. Not all things are good, but all things work together for good, right? Chocolate chip cookies, they're delicious. Chocolate chips are delicious, right? But other things in cookies aren't delicious on their own. Right? I came home like a week ago or two weeks ago, and I literally went upstairs, and my mom had all these butterscotch chips in the kitchen. And my, my dad just found out what happened to all of them. It's good to be with family, right? Like I'm preaching right now. They can't possibly yell at me right now. And, 
And, and, and Lamb Dude, I came upstairs and I saw those chips and I was like, oh my goodness. And like, I'm trying to be on a diet, but it went out the window. I ate an entire bag of like butterscotch chips. And it wasn't on the, hold on, cut me some slack, okay? It, it, well, sorry, there's no way I can defend this. I, I thought for a second, I go, hold on, I can explain. I can't, okay? Uh, but they were delicious. And, and my mom is like tripping because she's like, where do these chips go? And I threw my wife up there. I'm like, deflect this. Tell my mom that I ate it, but I'm downstairs. I can't come up and answer for this. So uh, anyway, here's my whole point. They're delicious on their own, but they're great when you make them in cookies too, right? Like, Uncle Joe, you ever go downstairs in the middle of the night and get a snack? Like, nobody goes downstairs. In the, you might go downstairs. You might go home and have some chocolate chips. Like, I might say this, and you're like, oh, man. I got some at home. I'm not going to wait for my wife to cook these. I'm going to go have some of these, right? Some of you are going to go home and eat chocolate chips. All I'm saying is this. Nobody's going to go home and go, man, I just want to get a handful of flour and stuff it in my mouth. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Nobody's going to go, man, I just want to go home and take some of that baking soda. And, man, maybe some of that vanilla extract. Oh, man, that's going to hit the spot. And, and, and man, it's like 11 o'clock at night and I got a sweet tooth. I just need that vanilla extract, man. It's good. Man, blah, 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 right? Nobody's going to do that. It's gross, man. Nobody just eats a handful of flour, but when you put it together, it makes something awesome, right? right. Like if you just want to make some chocolate chip cookies for a missionary, he'll be here on Wednesday night. <laughs> and they're, that's all I'm saying, okay? That's a revelation from God. No, it's not. I'm totally kidding. I'm joking. Listen, all things work together for good, but not all things are good. And so here's what you say. You go, Lord, in, a, in, in this storm, here's what I want. Here's what I want. We're done. I know I said that 20 times, but that's Dr. Jenkins. I'm sorry. Uh, Lord, number one, help me to know what my responsibility and what's yours. Lord, number two, help me to worship you in this storm. In this storm, I want to worship you, God, because this part isn't enjoyable, but I know it's going to be in the end. And Lord, number three, help me to see you in all of this. Don't miss Jesus in it, man. All things work together for good, and all things happen for a reason. So obviously, if you are a child of God, his hand is in your situation, and he's got something for you to see. I don't want to go through the storm and not see what the point was. I don't want to miss it all. That's all I'm saying. I don't want to be stuck out on the sea with, with literally my boat spinning out of control and get to the end, Uncle Joe, and God goes, man, you totally missed the point. I wanted you to see me and see who I am in all this. Remember what they said? Let's look, and we'll close in prayer. Look at verse number 10, all right? Verse number 10, the Chaldeans answered before the king and said, there is not a man upon the earth. Draw a line in your Bible from verse 10 to verse 28. Verse 28, but there is a God in heaven. Amen? There's not a man on the earth, but there is a God in heaven. He's amazing. Eyes bowed, eyes closed. Let me ask you a question tonight. I don't know if, as Brother Mark comes to the piano, I don't know if you're going through something, but right off the bat I asked that and several hands went up. With every head bowed and every eye closed tonight, can I ask you something right now? Are you going through something in your life tonight 
right now. Are you in a storm? If that's you, would you slip up your hand? Would you be courageous enough to lift up? I'm going through it. I'm going through it, right? A bunch of hands are up. Can I just ask you this? As the piano plays tonight, I can't fix your problems, and I'm not saying that God's going to fix it right now, but would you just decide, you know what, Lord? I don't know what the point of this storm is, but I am not going to leave this place without coming to an altar and worshiping you. As the piano plays, would you just worship God tonight? Would you take